We make decisions every day. While some of them are small, others can have a huge impact on our own lives and those around us. But how often do we stop to think about how we make decisions? Welcome to Deciding Factors, a podcast from GLG. I'm your host, Eric Jaffe. In each episode, I'll talk to world-class experts and leaders in government, medicine, business, and beyond, who can share their firsthand experiences and explain how they make some of their biggest decisions. We'll give you fresh insights to help you tackle the tough decisions in your professional life. While navigating the ups and downs of the real estate market has always been challenging, 2022 has ushered in a singular set of complications for would-be buyers and sellers alike. The COVID pandemic and the rise of remote work have changed how people decide where they want and can afford to live. Significant inflation and rising interest rates have further muddied the equation. Through a deficit of housing stock, a rising proportion of young adults living with their parents, and a surge of investors buying properties into the mix, and you'd be forgiven for wanting to give it all up and move to a yurt in Mongolia. Fortunately, our guest today is well-equipped to help us untangle this knot of real estate confusion and make sense of a chaotic market. Dr. Rob Dietz is Chief Economist and Senior Vice President for Economics and Housing Policy for the National Association of Home Builders, where he focuses on housing market analysis, economic forecasting, and housing policy research. Listen in as Rob brings his expertise to bear on emerging trends in the market, his tips for both buyers and sellers, and what to expect in the months and years to come. Rob, great to have you with us on Deciding Factors this morning. Yeah, it's good to be here this morning. Maybe we could start by just sort of doing an overview on on the housing market. So inventories are rising, um, sales are slowing, but we also have a national deficit of housing. Is that deficit real? And and if we do have a deficit, you know, how did that happen over the last decade? Yeah, I think the the, the important thing with the, the housing market right now is trying to distinguish between short-run dynamics, which are clearly related to the, the tightening cycle that the, the Federal Reserve sees, and then the, the long-term structural deficit. So in, in the short run, the, the challenges are, as you identified, they're, they're connected to inflation and where we are in the macro environment. Uh, obviously, the inflation data the last few months has come in higher than many have hoped. I'm, I'm not sure if we can say forecasted, but certainly hoped. Uh, the Federal Reserve is going to have to go higher in terms of that tightening cycle. Uh, they're also reducing the, the balance sheet, which is having a, a larger impact on the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And that, that jump in mortgage interest rates, particularly at the start of the year, I mean, we, we entered 2022 with a, effectively a 3% 30-year fixed rate mortgage, and it's now... Uh, fairly close to 6%. So a doubling of rates has really uh, reduced buyer traffic and priced out a lot of buyers, particularly first-time buyers from the marketplace. And so the result is rising inventories. But that's all occurring within this kind of longer-run story of a structural deficit, a lack of housing Given today's demographics, in other words, the size of the population, the number of households, uh, this has been a challenge, particularly in the single family market, uh, for the last seven or eight years. And it's a natural consequence of the fact that if you go back to the, the Great Recession, we were underbuilding housing roughly from 2011 to 2019. Now, there is some debate within the 
the housing community, the economics community on how big that, that deficit is. Uh, there are estimates as high as $5 million. Uh, the, the Freddie Mac economics team thinks we're probably short about 4 million homes. I, I think the deficit's a little closer to about a million homes. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a deficit. It's, it's, it's there. It's measurable. I think it's significant. It's maybe not as high as, as many people expect. And again, the, the reasons for it is a lack of home building uh, over the last uh, uh, roughly decade. And, and we've attributed that lack of home building due to supply side issues within the home construction sector. So uh, I've sort of called them the, the five L's. It's a lack of labor, lots, lending to builders and developers, issues surrounding lumber and, and building materials, uh, and of course, legal and regulatory costs that get built into the system. And so all of that has resulted in this rather strange environment when you combine the short run and the long run that buyers are being priced out of the market, demand is, is retreating, but you still have uh, price growth, at least on a national basis, prices are falling in, in a lot of local markets, but price growth due to the fact that you have this lack of attainable supply. So it's a it's a tough environment for the housing market, and it's a tough environment for the Federal Reserve, which, of course, wants to, to bring down things like the cost of rent. And it's difficult to do that uh, when you have crude policy tools that the Fed has, uh, which can really only address the demand side of the equation. If we do see interest rates go up, which, of course, at this point, everyone expects will be the case. How much of that 1 million home deficit do you expect to be consumed by that? Or, or is that not how it works? Yeah, I think what we're going to see is actually just a temporary retreat of some of that demographic demand. Kind of a sort of a obvious question is, well, what happens to those people? Where do they go? Well, they, they, they substitute out of the, the for sale housing market and they move into the rental housing market. That's causing rent growth to go up. Uh, but from a demographic perspective, you get more doubling and tripling up of roommates. And then a number we've been watching, we've been watching this one for a couple of decades now, is you see an increase in the share of young adults who are living with their parents. And that share has roughly doubled from the year 2000 to today. We've gone from one in 10 25 to 34 year olds living with their parents to today, it's more than one in five. And I think that share is going to go up because of those higher interest rates. So that that rising inventory is more kind of the, the short run dynamic of what's attainable housing due to a more than decade low of housing affordability versus an actual growth in the housing stock, which comes about through home construction. Uh, which is less of a, a market-based measure and more of a demographic-based measure of how much housing stock that we have available to house today's population. So let's talk about home prices. How much do you expect home prices to drop and, and at what rate, given the prospective rise in interest rates? I think at this part, most analysts, most economists that look at the housing market are now expecting some limited price declines. Six months ago, nine months ago, I think it was really uh, the minority view that we would see any kind of home price decline, in part because home prices had been going up at 15 to 20% year-over-year growth rates. And 
the feeling was, okay, well, prices will slow down. We're, we still have this, this structural deficit and the jump in interest rates will cause prices to just kind of kind of level off. That's looking more like the, the optimistic case at this point. In fact, if you look at uh, data in a lot of local markets, including what builders tell us uh, at NAHB, you're, you're already seeing price cuts. And in fact, about a fifth of builders right now are using price cuts as a form of incentive to maintain sales. And if you look at the local markets where prices are falling, they're the previously super hot markets in the post-COVID environment. So markets like Boise, uh, uh, Austin, hot markets where a lot of population uh, was moving in those markets where you had a lot of investor activity. Now, this isn't flipping. This is investors really looking to get exposure, particularly into the, the single family rental market. Uh, but uh, that is slowing down and it is resulting in, in net price reductions. So in our, our forecast, when we're, we're kind of looking at what we think home prices are going to do on a nationwide basis, uh, we have a limited small single digit price decline that we think is going to occur in the second half of 2022, uh, ongoing price weakness during the first half of 2023. Uh, and then we think kind of a leveling off process as the Fed releases the brakes uh, and we move forward in terms of the housing market. From peak price declines of 5% on a nationwide basis are not unreasonable. And then in super hot markets where prices have gone up 40 or 50% from the start of COVID, it's not unrealistic in those markets to think you could see a 15% uh, price decline. Now, it's really important, and when we're talking about price declines, to distinguish today's environment for the housing market compared to the 2007-2009 period. Uh, during the Great Recession, you had a lot of loose underwriting. There wasn't a housing deficit. Uh, there was a housing glut due to uh, really high levels of home building. We've had low levels of home building running in, into this particular downturn. And so the result was that the, when those, those price declines occurred in the marketplace, you had waves of foreclosure that then fed into further price declines. This environment is really more about a reset. It's, it's attempting, given the change in mortgage interest rates, what is the appropriate level of home prices for the market to clear? And in many cases, uh, those, those markets are overvalued and frothy. And so we're going through this reset process. Uh, as, as Chair Powell indicated, the, the, the tightening of monetary policy is going to cause pain. And, and we're going to see some of that pain in the housing market. The exodus from cities to suburbs is well documented during COVID. People going for more space and, and certainly more green space. As we come to a period where COVID has begun to ease, people are returning to their offices. How much of that trend is reversing nationwide? And five years from now, what do you think it'll look like? There have been some, some permanent level shifts because hybrid work models that we think probably involves about a third of the workforce working at home a day or two days a week does mean that for a home buyer who's looking to drive till they qualify in terms of getting more bang for their buck in terms of housing demand, uh, they, they've got a broader geographic area from which to, to search. Uh, you know, they, they're thinking about the weekly commute time and, and gas uh, costs rather than, say, the daily commute because they're not going in every day. Now, that's, that's not everyone. It's, again, about a third of the workforce, but it has left a mark. So, You've seen some some shifting 
uh, a kind of an equalization taking place in terms of the growth rates, and then interest rates go up. And so what was interesting, we had been looking at the data and saying, okay, well, it looks like we're kind of back to, to norms. Uh, back in 2021, the shift out had ended, and those higher interest rates now look like, at least in terms of construction permit data, are affecting the higher density, higher cost markets more severely. So now you're getting a separation again after an equalization. And I think that is going to play out because if you look at the markets that are seeing the, the largest declines, at least in the short run, in terms of home building activity, they're the markets with the highest price to income ratios, the, the places that have the highest levels of construction costs. And those markets tend to be the ones that have the highest amount of regulatory burden costs in terms of developing land and building homes, higher impact fees, just just more rules, and it, it takes longer. And so it's markets like the expensive ones in California, for example, that seem to be retreating the most, in addition to some of the, the hot markets in, in the mountain states where uh, things, at least in terms of pricing, got out ahead of, of local income. So, you know, I, I, I think if you're kind of thinking about the kinds of housing that is being built and where it's being built, it looks like we've got this permanent level shift out to the suburbs. But that's not to say that uh, things like townhouse construction that occurs in uh, large density inner suburbs doesn't have some growth ahead of it, because that's really the only way that we're going to be able to address that housing deficit. I thought we could talk a little bit about how buyers and sellers might approach their decisions and kind of how you would think about it. So maybe we can start with buyers. What are the most important factors buyers do consider and should consider when they're purchasing a home in your view? Yeah, I think it's it's home size and, and demographic need. So it's, it's based off of uh, family size and how much of a home uh, you can afford. Uh, interest rates have got to be an important part of that calculation, given the change that's, that's taken place. I mean, the, the 2 to 3% 30-year fixed rate mortgages that we saw in the market uh, you know, more than a year ago, that was really ahistoric. That was a historic low uh, in, in terms of financing costs. And I know some particularly younger buyers are looking at 5 to 6% rates and saying that seems pretty high. Well, you know, compared to, uh, you know, prior decades, uh, it's still fairly low, but I understand prices are are higher as well. So, you know, it's the affordability calculation has changed. So you got to do your homework. What I typically are recommending to uh, home buyers is patience and strategy. Um, Strategy means uh, expanding that geographic area from which you're searching for homes because the the existing home market remains tight uh, in terms of uh, inventory and patience. Uh, you know, when you're buying a home, you know, a typical buyer is going to hold that home for seven to 10 years, and some buyers are going to hold it for 30 or 40. So think about the kinds of demographic changes your household's going to go through. Maybe you could talk a bit about a trend that's been getting more and more attention. You know, the private equity backed uh, owners, they're actually now the, the dominant form of apartment building ownership in the U.S., according to a, a report from ProPublica. How has that trend affected home buying and and the housing industry overall? The investor participation, particularly in the single family rental market, I think is something that's that's new, that's seen a lot of change, at least in terms of uh, its scope and scale uh, in in this housing cycle. 
we've, we've always had a, a large single family rental stock in the country. And of course, investors have been always active in, in the multifamily space. But it's, it's really on the single family side where we see the change. It used to be about 14 out of 15 single family homes in the rental market were owned by mom and pop investors. And that's beginning to decline. With the rise of uh, capital looking to get into single-family rental, you're also seeing the rise of what I, th- I guess we can call horizontal multifamily, dedicated communities that operate effectively a lot like an apartment building, but is a single-family rental community. And that's particularly having an impact uh, in the, the home building market. Uh, historically, about 3% of single-family construction was built as, as rental housing. And a lot of that was really senior uh, type housing development. Uh, today, we estimate that maybe somewhere around 11 or 12% of single family home building is ultimately going to end up in the rental stock. And about half of that is being built by builders and then held by that builder to operate as, as rental property in the same way that a, a multifamily merchant uh, developer uh, would operate. And then the other half of that 11 to 12% is being sold to an investor who intends to own and operate that single family home as a a rental property. And and the reason for the takeoff of that, the expectation of of higher mortgage interest rates, which of course have been realized here at the start of 2022, that's priced out potential home buyers, particularly first time buyers who would require high loan to value ratios and thus have shifted over into the rental market. And I think this is gonna become a political issue as well. Uh, because the expectation is that uh, with these higher interest rates, due to the actions of the Federal Reserve, we are eventually going to see in the quarters ahead declines in the homeownership rate. And uh, that is one key area from the housing market that can quickly become an election issue. And if you see declines in the homeownership rate, there's likely going to be some kind of discussion of who's the villain in this process. Well, from an economics point of view, the, the, the challenge is really just that we have a housing deficit uh, and people are being priced out of, the, out of the marketplace. But I think, unfortunately, what we're going to see is some demonization of uh, investors who purchase single family homes and thus, quote unquote, crowd out people's ability to become homeowners, when in fact, that's just a way of, of getting some investment in the housing community. And given the fact we've got a housing deficit, single family built for rent construction, is a way that we can add housing supply, and it's it's really much needed. Interesting. Let's move on to sellers. What are the most important factors sellers consider when you know they're making the decision to sell, how to price it, how to structure that sale, and then ultimately like who they end up choosing if they have multiple bids? Interest rates really are the, the, the primary factor. I, I think sellers... Uh, as a community got used to this super hot market, particularly at the end of, of 2021, uh, uh, due to historically low interest rates and this kind of surge in interest in owning a home, particularly uh, uh, living in a single family home as people worked from home more due to the COVID crisis. So the, the big thing I think sellers are going to have to wrap their minds around right now is this reset process. Prices are going down some markets those higher interest rates does mean a smaller pool of potential buyers. We see this clearly in our surveys of builders that buyer traffic 
uh, is as low as it's been since 2014 and, and going down. Um, so what that means is that there's more price incentive use in the market right now. And this is from a, a builder perspective. Um, a common incentive is an interest rate buy down to, to get the, the mortgage interest rate that, that uh, would be uh, taken on by the buyer lower than, than market forces would suggest. So I think sellers need to be prepared with this, this smaller traffic environment. And if you're an existing homeowner, that may mean remodeling a home, making improvements and investments into it to make it attractive uh, to a home buyer. Um, so inventory remains tight, but this is uh, certainly moved in the direction of more of a buyer's market than what we saw a year ago. What are some of the biggest mistakes that uh, you think you see sellers make? I think from a seller perspective, the, the biggest mistake that you often see in looking at the data and talking to folks is just the inability to recognize what now is the market price for a home. An emotional asset, but an asset nonetheless that's really responding to supply and demand. Let's talk about a, a common decision that sellers face selling versus renovating, and that could be renovating and deciding to stay, or it could be renovating so that you uh, get a higher price or make your home more attractive. Yeah, this is this is a really important uh, calculation right now in the marketplaces. A lot of existing homeowners are going to be reluctant to move because they have a mortgage and an interest rate that's much below uh, current market rate. So if you've, you've got a mortgage and it's two point something or even three point something, and then you look at, you know, if I were to go buy a new home and move, I would have to go buy a, a home and get a mortgage that's closer to 6%. So the, the impact of that in terms of the economics is a lock-in effect. People reduce their, their willingness to move, and so you just get this decline in both home buyers, in other words, buyers looking in the marketplace, but also get a decline in the amount of resale inventory hitting the market uh, because people are more uh, reluctant to give up that mortgage. If they're not going to move, then they reinvest their, their home. So this is actually a bullish indicator for the remodeling sector. The remodeling market remains solid and strong. Yes, there's been some declines in terms of you know when existing home sales activity tends to fall, remodeling does. But there are these other bullish indicators, including the fact that people are remaining in their homes longer. And we also have this big wave of baby boomers who are going to age in place. And that kind of aging in place uh, home improvement activity does offer a particularly important uh, uh, business uh, opportunity for the, the remodeling sector. You know, as a layperson looking at home building, it, it's not obvious that technology has played as dramatic a role in affecting that industry as so many other aspects of our modern life. Is that accurate? And if so, like, are, are you surprised about that? It really is an issue in, in the home building sector. Uh, you know, one of the challenges that residential construction has faced is an ongoing skilled labor shortage. Uh, and the, the reason for that is connected to a variety of demographic issues. But it, it, one of the factors is the fact that productivity growth in the home building sector has really lagged the overall economy. The overall economy has actually seen like four times the growth in productivity. And, and at conferences and discussions of builders, one of the solutions you hear that lack of productivity is applying technology 
and finding new ways to build homes. And an often discussed one is more modular and panelized construction. Well, modular and panelized construction means building the whole home or at least the frames of the home in a factory, capturing the economies of scale and then shipping those assembled materials out to the eventual home site. And in theory, that offers uh, a productivity gain, uh, potentially reducing costs and allowing us to build more housing. The problem is you don't actually see it in the data. Uh, it, it's often one that's it's more discussed than actually applied. And in fact, in, in terms of the overall market, only about 3% of single-family home construction is, is modular panelized construction. And not only is that, that share a lot lower than I think people would expect given discussions about 3D printing and other kinds of, of ways of building a home, but that 3% share is even lower than the market share of that same kind of technology back in the late 90s. In the late 90s, it was 7 to 8% of home building. So we've actually seen over the last couple of decades a decline in this kind of, of activity. So I, I do think there's an opportunity for growth. I do think we're going to see more of these kinds of building systems approaches to get some productivity gains uh, in construction. It, it's going to take some time. Uh, and, and then, of course, the other place that we see technology being deployed is the sales and marketing process. That there's been a lot of change, a lot of investment in. But the actual construction process continues to be, I, I think, the low-hanging fruit in terms of investment opportunities and business opportunities going forward. And I do think that that share of modular and panelized construction is going to rise over the next 10 to 15 years. And then maybe finally, you mentioned, you know, the marketing and sales and certainly the the home buying side of things, Zillow, Airbnb, et cetera. There's been a huge change from, from technology. Do you expect that to continue? How do you expect that to continue to affect the sort of home buying side of things? And again, you know, five or 10 years from now, and w- what do you think things will look like? Yeah, I think we will continue to see that on the sales side, the demand side, the industry those kinds of technological features that basically improve the information available to both buyers and sellers, and therefore improve the matching process, reduce the amount of housing that's sitting vacant because it's on the market. All that is is good. It improves the overall efficiency of the housing market. And I I, I do think that is going to continue. And you combine that with the the growth in the single family rental uh, part of the market. And these are some ways at the margin that we can address some of those housing affordability and housing shortage issues. But the, the real challenge here in the housing market, particularly if you're looking beyond the, 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 the monetary policy tightening cycle that we're in right now, is addressing that large housing deficit. And that really is going to require just simply more home building. And while I do think change is coming to the residential construction sector, history teaches us that that change will be slow. So this is going to be a slow, gradual process that will ultimately yield more construction, more housing stock, but it really is going to take some time. Fantastic. Dr. Rob Dietz, thank you so much for coming on Deciding Factors. Really enlightening conversation. Thank you again. Thank you. That was Dr. Rob Dietz, Chief Economist and Senior Vice President for Economics and Housing Policy for the National Association of Home Builders. I was really struck by the sheer complexity and number of factors that Rob highlighted. Many of them, it seems, are operating independently of one another and steering the real estate market in wildly different directions. 
In other words, if you want to buy, sell, or invest in the real estate market and you want to make money doing it, you better do your homework. We hope you'll join us next time for a brand new episode of Deciding Factors featuring another one of GLG's network members. Every day, GLG facilitates conversations with experts across nearly every industry and geography, helping our clients with insight that leads to true clarity. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Or email us at decidingfactors at glgroup.com if you have feedback or ideas for future show topics. For Deciding Factors and GLG, I'm Eric Jaffe. Thanks for listening.